Hello, and welcome to Seeds of Wisdom brought to you by From a Loving Place with author Rachel Wolf. I'm Rachel Wolf, and today I am so excited to have the brilliant author Marlene Wagman Geller here to talk about the power of persistence. Marlene, will you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Well, thank you so much for that great introduction. Um, well, my name is Marlene Wagman Geller, and one of the things I want to be talking about the pedal of wisdom is persistence, because uh, I had a dream of seeing my name on the spine of the book since I was a little kid in my frozen wonderland of my hometown of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and it was always my lifelong dream to publish a book, but I had to wait and wait. And I think sometimes the difference between people who publish books and people who don't publish books is they didn't say, you know, I can't deal with the rejections. I just can't deal with this anymore. And, you know, rejections and writing thick skin is just part of the publishing process. And you don't let the naysayers or the rejection slips uh, serve as detriment. So that that would be my message in terms of your wonderful affirming, uh, you know, program. Oh, thank you. Um, well, and I, I want everybody to know exactly what it took for you to get published the first time. Well, the what the initial thing was, I remember was 2008. And I had just read the book Peyton Place by Grace Metallius. And just by happenstance, the book opened up to the dedication page. And it said to George for all the reasons he knows so well. So my inner Yenta was immediately piqued and I go, who is George and what was the reasons he knows so well? Mm -hmm. So I went to the internet to research it and um, George, George was her husband, a long suffering husband. And as I was finding out the story, I realized that one little line in the dedication page was as intriguing as the novel itself. So my sort of eureka moment was to say, well, that would be a really good book to take all the classic dedications and like of uh, once again, um, of the great Gatsby, the sun also rises. And who did they dedicate it to? Because the author truly enters the confession in those four little black words on a white page. And I remember I told my husband, you know, I want to write a book on, um, you know, the story behind the dedications. And he said, well, don't quit your day job. I remember that. And I said, well, I'm not quitting my day job. I was a high school English teacher, but I started um, sending out my, I, I knew that in order to publish, you needed a literary agent. I was astute enough to know that. And I literally sent out a hundred query letters. I got that 94 rejections. I got six responses and um, that was my first book, which I called Once Again to Zelda, The Stories Behind Literature's Most Intriguing Dedications. And that was in 2008. And um, I have 11 books now because I didn't give up. Now, what was it like for you in it? When you were in it, getting the rejections, I mean, what kept you going in that? Well, 
I just thought like literature, like publication is like love. You just need one to accept you. It's not the 99 that rejects you in life. It's the one that accepts you as that mattered. And I, my philosophy is failing doesn't matter. It's not making the attempt that does. So I said, well, at least I'll give it my damnedest. I'll leave no stone um, um, overturned. And I also felt like, you know, rejection is part of the game. I knew how difficult it was to get an agent. So it was, it was, um, so I finally um, hooked up with an agent in New York City and a good agent has the right contacts. And three days later, I had a deal with Penguin Publishing. And I remember I said to my husband, uh, does Penguin Publishing mean anything to you? And he goes, you know, but, and that's another thing, never listen to the naysayers because at the beginning he said, well, the reason you won't publish is because you have a BA, you know, you're competing against people with PhDs. You went to a no-name university in Canada called York. They went to Yale, you know, the big, with the ivy coming down. And, you know, you're a little school teacher in the Mexican border. Like, you don't, who are you? But you, you can't listen to the naysayers. You can't listen to your own interior naysayer. And you just... I used to tell my students, dreams don't just have to be for sleeping. And I truly believe that. Sometimes yeah. if you persist hard enough, the dream can become the waking reality. Oh my gosh, there are so many nuggets of wisdom in that one stretch. I just love it. And it's, and it's just so true about the naysayers and people who don't get it and get your commitment and passion towards the project it's our hearts it's our souls it's our calling that helps keeping us going and um exactly like i think it was mark twain he said oh writing's no problem you just sit down and open a vein you know and that's your ink but, you know, and, and that's why sometimes, um, you know, I never write really negative reviews on Amazon or Goodreads because I just say, you know, the old, if you don't have something nice to say, because an author, you know, gives the blood, sweat and tears. And when somebody dismisses it, it's like, but then even then you realize, okay, that's all right. It's better to be talked about than not talked about, even if it's negative. That's okay. I got another review. It's all right. Yes. Now you had um one of the books, Women Who Launch, is has it's still running strong. When did you publish that one? Uh, Women Who Launch was about I think three years ago. Yeah, I mean, I just still I still see it popping up everywhere. I mean, I'm always so impressed every time I see it. And then, um, the newest one comes out well by the time this airs it will have just come out the week before so tell us a little bit about that well the publication date was pushed up a week so it should be out in a week but my book that's coming out this month is called the secret lives of royal woman and so it just as it says, it's like encapsulated biographies of the famous royal people, but sort of a peek into their palace, sort of to see, you know, what it was really like. And it's sort of, um, yeah, so when I did have some members of the British royal family, like Camilla, Diana, Kate, and Diana, etc. But I also did ancient queens, queens from other countries and cultures, because 
royals have been around with us since the biblical era. Um, you know, Queen Esther, it's always been around since the biblical um, era and from all different cultures and climes. So I just took uh, 36 of these um, sort of famous and infamous um, royals. Uh, and talk about when it comes to your power of persistence in the biographies that you write, these mini biographies, what I'm always amazed by is how you tend to get these facts that you don't read about in places like, like well, um, well, the regular history books or well, anything. I'm always fascinated by that, of how you can dig the way you do. Well, the thing is, I want my books not to be an academic treatise, because unless somebody's going for their PhD and it's a scholarly pursuit, they don't want like, you know, so I try to find things that are really interesting or not known or dig below the surface, because if, if the fact is already well known, nobody's going to want to read it. And if it's too esoteric, it's going to people also they're reading for entertainment. And so they're also, you know, not going to be interested. So um, yeah, I do try to, and a lot of my research is to uncover because what's fascinating is what's not known as opposed to what's known. Oh, it, it is. Um, I had, tried I had got blessed it. enough to read the unabashed women. And, and it's the stories of infamous women. And so it was the, all these cool stories about people that, you know, many of us only see these glimpses of and got to dive into them and to see who they were as a person. It wasn't just the facade character, the, the, the mask. Mm -hmm. and that's what I, I really liked. And, and, and the, persistence that you have to be able to keep digging I mean well, what gets you to keep digging well I think one of the commonalities of all my 11 books it's a story under the story so it's like that first book I had to be you know a dedication detective why like when they wrote that book why did they choose that person and it was very revealing about themselves what they wrote and their dedication but that was sort of the story behind the book like you want to know the stories where people enter the confessional you want to know like that inner spot um, shine the inner spotlight of truth and I tried to infuse a little humor because sometimes the book Books, um, or the stories are a little bit, you know, biographies tend to be even on the surface, if you look at people, they might have such charm lives on the sur surface, mm -hmm. but you look a little deeper. And because sometimes they deal with, you know, negatives, you want I try to, you know, infuse a little humor when possible. Well, and, you know, and that's what I one of the things that really stood out for me is because one of the I love reading. I love reading all kinds of books, but memoirs, self-help, all that kind of stuff. But the one of the things that I always struggled with is if I don't see the human behind the person writing it, if I don't see their struggle, I will I used to shame myself because I wasn't where they were. Like I would just see their mask and I would judge myself against this perfect being that's being explained and so that's one of the things I love about what you do is that 
you rip that down <laughs> well, so yeah. that you can see the person so that you could see that they're human. Exactly. Because even, I mean, that's what the Shakespearean definition of a hero was. They're so perfect and flawless. I mean, they're so perfect, but everybody has one essential flaw, one frailty, which gives them their humanity, which gives them their unique voice. And as a biographer, that's one of the things I want to do, let their voice and their unique story be told. So that's, so it's not just, so I start off getting the skeleton, which is just the compilation of facts, but then you put the flesh on them, the humanizing. And some, there's a saying to know all is to understand all. And sometimes we forgive them when we know the background. Now, I love that. What do you do to help you keep up your energy to keep doing it? I mean, you're in 11 books and you keep going. <laughs> what do you do to keep yourself motivated and what inspires you to keep, just keep doing it? Well, I believe there's a lot of difference between happy and unhappy people. But for me, one of the distinctions is to have a purpose. If you have a passion, doesn't matter what it is, a purpose, it doesn't matter what it is. It sort of adds technicolor to the black and white of every day. And for me, it's the writing. So no matter what's going on in my, and my personal life, when I sit at the computer, I'm able to focus. I'm able to get out of myself. It's sort of like whatever gets you through the night. So it's not really that. Um, so one is I do have a lot of um, discipline. So I will sit down and I'll say, and, and so I think what makes me do it is A, I have a lot of discipline and B, I learned in life, you can't get something without giving something else up. So especially I wrote all my books when I was a full-time teacher. So I had to work all day. And then I came home after teaching high school, whatever the kids didn't take for me, the teenage hormones. And I had a little margin of time left. So I had to be very, very dedicated um, and sit down and say, you know, you don't stand up until three more hours. But then I gave things up. Like I used to go to the movies. I used to watch TV. I used to have friends. I used to have, you know, things like that. But I couldn't, you know, work full time, do that and have the other things. But in retrospect, do I mind giving it up? Absolutely not. Because it um, it gave me that passion. It gave me that purpose. It gave me something to believe in. And I believe that, you know, the, you know, Benjamin Franklin once said, never let the sun go down on an idle day. And maybe I'm sounding like the ultimate killjoy. <laughs> you know, probably I am. But um, nevertheless, that's why I'm able to do it. Because when you love what you do, then it's not really work. So people say, well, how do you sit and write uh, four hours after school and eight hours on the weekend? It's because it's what I like to do. And, mm -hmm. and that's just, uh, so I'm fortunate I found my purpose. Well, and I mean, you said the word that goes right to my heart is passion and to have passion about something, whatever it is that it, it gets your energy running. I mean, exactly. it's amazing what what happens and the energy we find <laughs> you know, in all kinds of strange places to do it because like our minds don't go away from it. 
Exactly. And you know, it's so important to have your personal passion, whatever it may be, because in a way we can't really count on others. You know, relationships are sometimes finite. Children grow up and go away. The husband changes you for the younger model. I mean, whatever the case may be. But if you have something that's uniquely yours, then it doesn't matter if you're an empty nester. It doesn't matter if you are retired. It doesn't matter if your relationship didn't work out because you have something that is intrinsic to yourself. So I really find, especially for women, I find that women, um, they're told so much to be selfless. You know, be the daughter, be the wife, be the mother, be the caregiver. And the problem with that is, then if you wear yourself down to a nub, there's nothing left. And I think we have to go against the old fashioned mindset, you know, you're supposed to be selfless. And you say, no, you can be selfish too. You can have some little core that belongs just to you. And I think that's what gets you through, you know, the turbulent times. Well, and that's us putting our oxygen masks on us first. It's oh, that's a great how analogy. we serve other people is by taking care of ourselves. Because if we're running deflated, we're not, we're not even able to give love to yes, them. I, that I love extent. that analogy. Yeah. I was using that oxygen masks first. It's true because if you can't, if you're not whole, how do you, if you're not sort of salvageable yourself, how do you save other people? And I think when you're trying to be super mom, um, I'm from Canada, that's why I say mom. Okay, if you're trying to be super mom, um, or you're trying to be, you know, the, the step 40 and uh, woman, then you, um, it, something has to give. I, yeah. And, and that's it. For me, I know that with all the things I get hit with, if I do not take care of myself, it's just, I lose, every, like, I slowly deplete everything. My Even my passion gets depleted. And so I'm like, no, no, not worth it. <laughs> right. So even you're doing these podcasts. So that's something that you like doing. I know you're a mother of two. Yep. So I know, you know, you could be busy too. I can imagine two teenage hormones. That must be a lot to deal with. But you're still yes. carving out time because this is your passion or, you know, I'm sure it must be one of them. Yep. And and then you get to meet people and you get a vista into other lives. And we can't just, because I noticed even for myself, when my daughter was growing up, the mothers who were like, they had the perfect um, lunch pails and they went to every PTA meeting, but then the kid grows up and it, all you were, were the mother. You just looked at your own life. You were just out of the prism of being a mother. And inevitably the kid goes away and then you're left with, a vacuum and it's hard to fill vacuums at will yeah, and trying to find yourself again because you lost like and that's one of the things that I had come across is I had at one point felt like an empty shell and I was like oh wow this is not good mm -hmm. you know and that's when I had to start rebuilding myself from inside out because I felt so empty and but that persistence to build that is what helped me get to where I am now. 
A hundred percent. And also another thing is sometimes, you know, being human nature, we can't, especially on Facebook, you can't help but look at all these people have perfect lives. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going on this dream vacation with my millionaire husband and my model children and the Ivy League schools. And so what's, you know, but then if you have something, okay, well, maybe they have those things. But now with my writing, but I have something too. And that's, and so you have to look, I think in life, what you do, I think one of the things that's, it saves you from a signpost of insanity is you look what you have, not what you don't have and capitalize on it. And, and that's why, and especially with publishing, it's such a multi-pronged fork because not only when I first went into publishing, I thought, oh, a dream of dreams, you know, I published a book. Wow. But, but then there's so many unexpected perks like our path would my path and yours would never have um, met and I've met so many absolutely wonderful people I've had so many interesting experiences and had I said no I can't work all day and then work this and you're right I am nobody from nowhere's I am from York you know I'm from a little tundra town in Canada but you know because I didn't I said well at least I'm gonna try and now I have this and it's sort of inviolate nobody can take it and that brings us back to the beginning the persistence the power of persistence I truly believe in the power of persistence and one of my books was called still I rise of uh, the power of, um, the um, the persistence of phenomenal woman and that was the whole premise of still I rise I took these women with the title of course from Maya Angelou so I showcased all these women their lives were basically you know if, if they they were just had nothing going for them, but they refused to, um, they refused to um, let bow down. So I took Maya Angelou's Still I Rise from her poem. And if you take Maya Angelou, she was born in 1920s and she was at the bottom of the social hierarchy. She was the depression. She had no money. She was in a day when black women were at the bottom. Um, on top of that, she was raped by her mother's boyfriend. Um, her uncles killed the guy who did that to her. And then she felt, I shouldn't have told. And she literally did not speak for five years. And then she turned, and then when President Clinton became, had his inauguration, um, she was chosen as the poet laureate of the country. And one of the things I mentioned, Clinton said to her, hey, not bad for two kids from the wrong side of the Arkansas track. So the premise of that book is to show, yes, everything can be wrong for me, everything. And I can throw the world's biggest pity party and nobody will care. Everybody will just want to stay away from me. Actually, I can say, okay, I can't, I can't go further down because I'm at the bottom. I can only go north. And that was the still I rise. And I actually got the idea from that book is I met this woman by happenstance. And because her world and mine were so different. And she had like everything that could be go wrong for her like everybody in her family was addicted to drugs oh yeah my husband's in jail for addiction my daughter the baby was born you know, everything and then I love words and she was telling me all these things and I I wanted to reach down for this pearl of wisdom but all I could say to her is oh I'm sorry and she said to me 
like she had Billy Bob teeth, but anyways, she said to me, hell, I'm still here. And I was driving home. I, it resonated those words, hell, I'm still here. And if this woman who, who life has treated her horribly since she was probably a fetus, if she can still say, hell, I'm still here, that I thought was the book, Still I Rise. And I, it really gave me succor researching these women. And that, that's the subtitle, The Persistence of Phenomenal Woman. And by persisting, by nature, you are phenomenal. Oh, and with that, we have to end our episode. Thank you so much, Marlene, for coming on. I'm so happy to have you here. And Thanks, Rachel. And you're a natural born, I just have to tell you, you're a natural born interviewer. Because when I don't feel comfortable with an interviewer and they ask me my name, I look like it's a trick question. I go, oh, I'll get back to you. But honestly, Rachel, with you, it's like I'm Zooming with my girlfriend, my old friend. So oh, you had you. that power to make me feel so comfortable like I was Zooming with my friend. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such an honor and a pleasure. And, and we will thank you until I can ever meet you in person. I know. Um, I'm so glad we got to meet. <laughs> thank you. Me too. Okay. Bye, Rachel. Make sure to follow the links that accompany this episode. You will learn a lot more about today's guest and see what they have going on now. You will also get all the links to follow them on their journeys if this seed resonates with you. If you like what you heard, remember to like, follow, and subscribe to FromALovingPlace.com and all its platforms. Remember to come back next week for another Seed of Wisdom.